Okay, wait, wait, just a second. I got to plug this. Yow! It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. This is podcast number 136 for March 29th, 2009. You might notice a change in the podcast this week. Earlier in the year, I added some reverb to the signal. Well, subtlety has never been a strength for me, and I've been told that the settings were just a little too high. I have to agree with that assessment. So starting this week, I've dialed the reverb back considerably, so now I hope it'll do what it's intended to do, give some presence to the sound, without making it appear that I've fallen down a well. I do welcome your feedback when you hear something you like, or something you don't. My email inbox leads a pretty sheltered life. Because I use a challenge response system that sits on a server in Seattle, it never receives any spam. None. But because I like to see what the fraudsters are up to, I use a couple of mechanisms that sequester all spam into kind of a litter box. Occasionally, I take a look in the litter box to see what's there and pull out some of the larger clumps, take a look at them. What I see ranges from the sublime to the absurd. Sometimes the spams suffer from thesaurusitis. That's the same kind of thing that gets high school sophomores in trouble when they seek out elegant variations of common words, make the wrong choice, and then write a sentence without any sense. Whenever I see a spam with a return address that includes something like %fname, %lname, I know that the spammer doesn't have a clue how to use his own spam program. Variables should have been replaced by an actual name, not printed out as in the message. I opened one of these recently. It was titled Venerable Insurance. A venerable insurance company, it said, with the underlying market of operation, is proud to announce yet another feasible entry for uprising account adepts. Well, that sentence has so many problems that it's hard to tell where to begin. I have no idea what an underlying market of operation is, and I'm pretty sure I wouldn't want to meet any uprising accounting adepts in a dark alley. The message told me I would have a comfort working environment. Southern comfort, perhaps. That would most definitely justify the necessity to excel in the vast sphere of professional goals and thereof lay a firm foundation for your career advancement. Thereof should be thereby, but the rest of the sentence is pure gibberish. Salient associates, they told me, with profound work knowledge, will assist you in unwrapping avocation-related techniques, which will best integrate with the development and popularization of high-caliber insurance solutions. Now, as far as I can tell, the writer just picks random words from a thesaurus and just sprinkles them through the sentence along with the occasional comma here and there because it looks good. The message went on like that for quite some time and told me that my education and status don't matter. Sure they don't. If you had any questions about the legitimacy of this offer, you should be, by now, completely disabused of them. 
The message told me that I would receive payments, direct bank deposits and wire transfers from client within United States and send it by instant payment system, spelled S-I-S-T-E-M, such as Western Union, and I will receive 5% of processed amount. So the message is now shouting fraud. Even spelling system right wouldn't have helped much. I'm told the main responsibilities will be to fill forms, receive and transfer money from our clients at the United States to our couriers, and that they are hiring only at the United States. What is this at the United States business? And for this bit of work, two to three hours a day, they say, they will pay me a fixed salary of $2,000, U.S. dollars, per month, plus 5% from each payment processed. $2,000 a month for two to three hours of work per day? Dream on. I'm moving on to a lower level in the spam box. I see that the Bank of America is telling me the security certificate installation failed. The only thing I can do, of course, to remedy the situation is visit the Bank of America website and download the appropriate file. This spam might be a little more convincing if I actually had a banking relationship with the Bank of America. The URL tries its best to look convincing by starting with http colon slash slash Bank of America. But there's more. A lot more. Update server dot permissions dot certificate dash dcy one ibnjx dot account holder. I think they wanted to have account holder, but they forgot the R at the end. What most people won't see is the rest of the URL from that point on. Technology updatas. Now, I can figure this is probably technology updates, but misspelled intentionally. And what exactly is technology updatas registered to? It's registered to someone in China. No point in going any further on that one. The avant-garde advertising agency wants to offer me a job position. Okay, guys, first rule of spamming is this one. If you're going to use a term such as avant-garde, spell it right. This was the avant-g-u-a-r-d advertising agency. The message, at least, however, was written in passable English. My name is Eric Crusini, it said. I'm HR manager of Avant-Garde Advertising Agency. I would like to offer you a job position in your area, according with your skills and experience level. Our system found you as a potential candidate for the following job vacancy, junior service manager. If you are ambitious and would like to work in an interesting business, open up something new to yourself to climb up the professional ladder and gain new experience, come work in our company. Our specialists will always support and give professional help during your first steps. The tasks I would be performing, I see, are processing orders, sales, from clients and their partners, following security procedures, drawing up reports, Ms. Word and Ms. Excel. Now, I suspect they really meant... MS Word, as in Microsoft, and MS Excel, as in Microsoft. But they used the abbreviation Ms. So who is Ms. Word and Ms. Excel? Will I be working with them? I would need a high school diploma or the equivalent. And I have to be proficient in computer window-based programs with excellent navigational skills. Microsoft, Apple, Linux, and Unix all have window-based programs. So I guess I could be proficient in any of those. And why do I need excellent navigational skills? Do they plan to move the office frequently and hope that I'll be able to continue to find them? 
The base pay, ah, yes, now we get down to the good stuff. The base pay, forty to $60,000 a year, monthly paid salary of $3,000 a month. Wait, that doesn't add up. Is it forty to $60,000 a year, or is it $36,000 a year? Oh, I see, there's a generous commission program, extra income per each completed task. When I'm ready to apply, I need to go to guard.co.cr. CR is the domain for Croatia. Ah, well, another job opportunity missed. But it seems that I bought an airline ticket from Delta. Thanks for the purchase, the message said. Besides knowing I hadn't purchased a ticket from Delta, I thought it was kind of interesting that the message from Delta was processed by Xerox. That's what the return address claimed to be. It was fraudulent, of course. But had there been a merger I'm unaware of? Does Xerox own Delta? You will find attached to this letter passenger itinerary receipt of your electronic ticket. There was a zip file attached. It undoubtedly contains malware of some sort. I did not open it. The message told me that I had paid the ticket in full and confirms my right for air travel and luggage transportation by the indicated flight Delta Airlines. Here's a two-pronged hook. If you're honest, you might open the file to see if you could reunite the ticket with its rightful owner. And if you're not so honest, you might open it to see if you could use the ticket yourself or cash it in. And on board, I'm going to be offered beverages, food, and daily press. Daily press? How long is this flight? And do they mean newspaper? I am, of course, guaranteed top quality service and attention on the part of our benevolent personnel. Now, can you imagine any airline calling its employees benevolent? We recommend you to print passenger itinerary receipt and take it alone to the airport. It will help you to pass control and registration procedures faster. The writer clearly knows English as a far distant second language. Mistaking alone for a long, I found particularly amusing. Well, enough spam. <laughs> I have always liked libraries, from whenever it was that I discovered the boxy little library in Bellefountain to today when I'm surrounded by libraries that provide access to books, CDs, DVDs, electronic books, online databases, and a lot more. This is a story mainly about central Ohio libraries, but what's true here is true for many libraries in lots of parts of the country. The largest library system in central Ohio is, of course, the Columbus Public Library, the mainstay of the Discovery Place system. It unites several libraries, but other libraries are available too, Bexley, Upper Arlington, Grandview Heights, and Westerville, to name just four. Worthington's Library was named Library of the Year 2007. It is a busy library, but so are a lot of the libraries in the area. If you're old enough, you may remember The Music Man and Marion the Librarian, a quiet, mousy little person. Maybe librarians were once like that, but if they were, they certainly are not today. Librarians are likely to know about technology, a lot of it. I know because several librarians attended a conference that I was at ten years or more ago. If I had any preconceived notions about librarians, that conference blew them away. The conference topic was website design, and the presenter mentioned that not everyone had up-to-date equipment. Librarians, he cited as an example. One librarian in the room set him straight. The library had a faster connection than most of us in the room, and librarians, even ten years ago knew very well how to use the Internet. And as for that mousy part, 
Some of the librarians that I deal with have tattoos and piercings, so it's no longer Marion. When I was looking for a Pearl reference in late 2008, I wasn't sure which of the terminals had access to the catalog. I hadn't actually been in the reference part of the library for a while, so I asked a librarian to direct me. She said she could look it up for me. Pearl, I said. Bailey knitting or the computer language, she asked. No, definitely not the prim little Marion. Actually, I have a feeling that most librarians never really quite fit that stereotype anyway. The fact is that librarians have always been underrated. A very long time ago, WCOL Radio had a program segment that answered questions for listeners, and I was one of the people who researched the answers, but I cheated most of the time. When a question came in, I picked up the phone, called the research librarian at the Columbus Public Library. In many cases, the librarian knew the answer off the top of her head. If not, she could probably find it. And in the 1960s, it was almost always a she. That was before the Internet was in every home, well before Google. Finding answers in those days meant looking in books. Research librarians are still some of the coolest people on the planet, in my estimation. An outgrowth of the research department is the homework help section that a lot of libraries have. Librarians won't do your children's homework for them, but they can provide suggestions about how to perform the appropriate research and find the right answers. And Google, of course, can't answer every question. Your local library has access to many online databases. You can use these resources at the library, and in some cases, as long as you have a library card, you can use the resources at home on your home computer. You may also find some electronic books that you can download or read online. Audio books can be checked out from your library, or you may be able to download them and listen to them at home. In a few cases, you're even permitted to create your own CDs from audiobook downloads. Some libraries offer video downloads, too, in addition to DVDs that can be borrowed. In Franklin County, you've got a lot of choices. Choices, you may think. A lot of people think that they're limited to using just the library where they live, but this is not the case. I may live in Worthington, but I can also borrow materials from Grandview Heights and Upper Arlington libraries, and I do frequently because I can easily visit them on the way home from work. You do need to obtain a library card from the other library systems, but this is rarely a problem. Here's a quick rundown for Central Ohio. Anybody who resides in a 10 school or is employed within Franklin County may obtain a Bexley Public Library card. For Columbus, all you need be is an Ohio resident in Grandview Heights. Any resident of the state of Ohio may register for a library card. Upper Arlington requires only that you be a resident of Ohio. Same is true for Westerville and Worthington. As a library card holder, you have access to every online database that the library subscribes to. A few of these require you to be in the library to use them, but most are available, as I noted, at home, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. As the Upper Arlington Public Library's website says, and I quote, Our online databases and reference ebooks provide access to thousands of respected magazines, newspapers, and professional journals, plus business and investment, science, history, literature, and genealogy sources. They provide information you can't find by simply doing a Google search. So how about rating libraries? Libraries are probably the best value you'll find anywhere on the planet, if not in the entire solar system. Libraries, five cats. They have kept up with technology. No longer are they just repositories of books, magazines, and the occasional fine art print, along with a few albums or films. Now your public library provides CDs, DVDs, online database access, and a lot more. 
For more information, visit a library or visit one of their websites. You'll find links to a lot of the Central Ohio Library websites at the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. But if you haven't been in a library recently, visit one. You may be surprised. This is a sad story. On Wednesday of this coming week, it will have been 19 years since RFC 1149 was proposed to ease network traffic, and shamefully slow implementation has resulted in virtually no action being taken on what was viewed as an exciting new development in 1990. RFC is an initialism for request for comments. RFCs are what provide guidance for the Internet. For example, RFC 821 describes SMTP, the Simple Mail Transport Protocol, takes 67 pages to do that, and in those 67 pages it describes how email should be transported across the Internet. And there's RFC 2161, the Hypertext Transfer Protocol. That one takes 176 pages that describe the basics of how the web operates. Now, by contrast, RFC 1149 is just two pages long, and still it languishes. Nine years after it was first introduced in 1999, RFC 1149 was updated by RFC 2549, which added a few new features to make the proposed protocol even more robust. Astonishingly, no action was taken. And now, ten years after the second proposal, no indication that it will ever be developed. RFC 1149's language was simple and straightforward. What was being proposed was a standard for transmission of IP datagrams on avian carriers. It was described as an experimental method for the encapsulation of IP datagrams in avian carriers, which would be primarily useful in metropolitan area networks. RFC 2549 updated the proposal to include the ability to indicate service level on a per-carrier basis by barcode markings. The two-page original RFC was simple and direct. Avian carriers can provide high-delay, low-throughput, and low-altitude service. The connection topology is limited to a single point-to-point path for each carrier, used with standard carriers, but many carriers can be used without significant interference with each other outside of early spring. This is because of the 3D ether space available to the carriers, in contrast to the 1D ether used by IEEE 802.3. Security of the new protocol was given careful consideration consideration. Security, it noted, is not generally a problem in normal operation, but special measures must be taken, such as data encryption, when avian carriers are used in a tactical environment. The time has come to implement RFCs 1149 and 2549. Write your congressman, write your senator, demand that the United States government move forward immediately on these important protocols. However, before you write, Please review the protocols. There are links to them from the TechBiter Worldwide website. And there's one more thing you should refer to, and that would be a calendar. For details, see the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. Find a browser bug and collect $5,000. That's the basis of a contest held recently by CanSec West in Vancouver. CanSec West is a security conference in... Well, the western part of Canada. It was the 10th annual conference, and it's billed as the world's most advanced conference focusing on applied digital security. 
The conference included a PWN uh, numeral two own contest. Uh, that would be leet speak, by the way, for own to own. If you write an exploit that owns the machine that it runs on, you earn the $5,000 and then you own the laptop computer that was used for the contest. The winner was a German guy known only as Nils. I'll tell you why he uses only one name in a minute. He presented three new exploits, one each for Firefox, Safari, and Internet Explorer. Ease of use is paramount for a browser, and because of that, security sometimes must sit in the back seat. But even if security was paramount, there would still be flaws because programmers write imperfect programs and because browsers are exposed on the Internet for every crook in the world to play with 24 hours a day. You might think that a conference such as CanSec West, which brings hackers together to compare notes, is a bad thing. It's not, though. The truly bad folks find security problems and share them. Conferences such as CanSec West help to uncover security flaws and then report those flaws to the vendor. In Microsoft's case, the flaw that Nils revealed was patched the very next day when Microsoft released the first non-beta version of its current browser. So Nils took home the Sony Vio notebook used for the conference along with $5,000 for each of the flaws that he demonstrated in Safari, IE, and Firefox. The hacker is a student at a German university. He refused to release his last name because he wanted to avoid being sought out by criminals who would want to buy the information about his exploits. He did explain, though, that he found it a lot easier to write the exploit for Firefox or Safari on the Max OS X than on Windows Vista. And yes, you heard what I said, and you heard it correctly. Vista was significantly more secure, as far as this fellow is concerned, than Apple's OS X. Nil says he expects more exploits to be written for the Mac as Windows users migrate to Vista, or more likely, to Windows 7 when it becomes available. So, a word to the Mac wise. You have been warned. Based on what's been written in some blogs and in the old media, a botnet that takes over routers spells the end of the Internet as we know it. Drone Blacklist has been on the receiving end of a distributed denial-of-service attack from these corrupted routers, and it's the company that announced the presence of the router-borne botnet. Drone isn't particularly concerned about the threat, though, and it says the botnet actually seems to have been taken out of service. The flaw, it seems, is with our reporting. When every possible exploit becomes the end of the Internet as we know it, the noise level increases. When the noise level increases, legitimate messages are lost in the clutter. It's the chicken little syndrome. Every time you hear that the sky is falling and then the sky doesn't fall, you become a little less likely to pay attention to the next warning. So I sincerely wish that those who write about technology, and that includes the folks at Slashdot, would be a lot more careful about what they write. As Drone Blacklist describes the problem on its website, as Drone Blacklist describes the problem on its website, a router would be vulnerable only if it's a MIPSEL device running MIPS under little endian mode. If it presents an SSH or web-based interface to the wide area network, that would be the Internet, and if you have a weak username and password or the firmware is exploitable. In short, and I quote, 90% of the routers and modems participating in this botnet are participating due to user error. Devices that have been compromised can easily be disinfected. 
All you have to do is power cycle the device and then take the appropriate action to lock it down, including getting the latest firmware updates and using a secure password. End of the world? End of the Internet? No, not exactly. Just another overblown story. Thanks for listening to Tech Fighter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.